for the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. It's the radio guy, Mike Prince. Happy holidays to you. Hope you guys are nestled in and join this time off if you're fortunate. But many are on the grind as always. And speaking of, we're going to hear from a long lost little brother. It's been a little while since we last spoke with him. And uh, since we last spoke with him, he's been on Twitter creating firestorms. We'll talk about that and a whole lot more. We're going to present for some and introduce to others none other than Coach Shotgun Willie Simmons. How you doing today, Coach? I'm doing well. Doing well, Mike. Uh, happy holidays. Happy holidays to you too, man. Um, before we we go into your, I guess, your Twitter fire <laughs> that you created, uh, let's talk about this past um, Celebration Bowl. Were you shocked? Not at the result of the winner, but the way it was created and developed. Well, I think it's safe to say we were all shocked. Um, I, don't, I don't think anyone could have anticipated a sixty-four to forty-four final. You're talking about the two top defensive teams in the respective conferences going head to head. You know, so I was anticipating more of a, a defensive slugfest, uh, kind of the way the game started. I think it started a little bit slow. Both teams kind of exchanged their punts, and then all of a sudden, um, both defenses like they decided to go home early, and <laughs> just an offensive explosion from from both sides. And A and T, fortunately for them, made uh, a few more plays, and then Alcorn and was able to come away with a huge uh, runaway victory, like I said, sixty-four to forty-four. So definitely surprised by the by the um, the, the the score. wasn't surprised by the outcome because I picked A and T to win it, but was definitely surprised by the score. Yeah, and you, you know, 52 points in the second and third quarter, and it was like the wheels just collapsed. They disintegrated. They didn't fall off. They just disintegrated, and it was to be no more. Um, what do you attribute that to? Do you think that was nerves gone bad? Inex- well, you can't say inexperienced when you got 26 seniors. What do you attribute that to? Uh, you know what? That's a great question, and I don't really have the answer to that question. Uh, like, again, you're talking about two teams who have played really good defense all year. Um, I, I think the highest um, output that, that A&T had given up may have been our game. Uh, we scored 30, I think 34 against them, uh, 35 rather, in, in, in overtime. And uh, Alcorn, I think outside of uh, maybe, I don't even know, Southern Miss scored that many points against them. So, uh, I think both teams went in. Um, A&T was right around 18 a game. Alcorn was around 19 a game. They were giving up. And what was surprising was just the busted coverages. You know, just like a bunch of busted coverages because they were all on big plays. You, know, you look at A&T scoring, uh, scoring drives, they were 75-yard touchdown, 70-yard touchdown, 65-yard touchdown, 70-yard touchdown. I mean, talking about probably close to 300 yards of offense on four plays. Always results in touchdowns, and, and and kind of the same thing with Alcorn as well. But um, not sure what that was attributed to. Um, we would like to think at some point there'd be some adjustments made throughout the game. Not being critical of the coach, but 
just surprising whenever you see a team score at will um, that much against you know a team that on paper is, is pretty stout on defense. Right. And, you know, occasionally, you know, throughout the course of a game, you're going to have some blown assignments here and there from time to time. In most cases, you hope that you don't get bit in the backside from that. But as you mentioned, it was nothing but a series of big plays. Everything would be seem like it's rolling right along. OK, we're going to get these defenses settled in. And then all of a sudden it's a big play. But uh, nonetheless, um, A&T, beyond a shadow of a doubt, is a legitimate program and they shown that because good teams capitalize off mistakes and good team trying to uh, keep you at a minimum and making big plays to help, you know, overlay them for the lead. And that was a result of the Aggies holding on to beat the Braves. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And that's one thing that I constantly talk to our team about, especially offensively, uh, the thing that separates the elite, offenses and teams uh, from the average to pretty good ones are uh, the, the elite teams capitalize on mistakes. You know, when you see in uh, Clemson or in Oklahoma, LSU, the teams that will be playing in the college football playoff uh, semifinal this weekend, all of those offenses, if you make a mistake, you know, it's not just a 10-yard gain or a 15-yard gain, it's a touchdown. And, and A&T um, showed that last weekend. You know, when Alcorn made a mistake defensively, it wasn't just an explosive play. It was a touchdown. And for whatever reason, Alcorn kept making mistakes defensively, and A&T kept capitalizing on them. And, and so, yeah, you're absolutely right. They've definitely established themselves as a, as a quality program. Um, Broad, Broadway came in and, and really transformed that, that program around. They really pumped some money into the facilities and the infrastructure. And then you have to tip your hat to Sam Washington. Uh, he's come in in two years and, and won you know, the celebration both consecutive years and so it definitely shows that they're a quality program one that has sustainability and that's what you look for whenever you look at um teams that that you would consider you know great programs or teetering on the line of of a dynasty we're talking right now with shotgun willie simmons head football coach of the famu rattlers uh had a remarkable season uh but due to some infractions there was a self-imposed postseason ban and as a result, man, uh, you fired off a tweet about a week or two ago, man, that shots were fired across the country. Um, can we go back into what A triggered you to say that and what was on your mindset when you let that go? I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> uh, need, I, need I remind you? <laughs> hey, I mean, that's bad. That's, yeah. that's true. <laughs> yeah, go ahead and remind me what you exactly what I know I've tweeted a lot the last Okay, time. well, I'm going to paraphrase, but it simply said that we are the HBCU football champions because we beat everybody in front of us, including those that are representing us in the championship. Does kind of sound like my my, my phrase, but no, nah, but yeah, um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I've been asked, I've been asked uh, multiple times since the season, since our season ended, um, and again, unfortunately, you know, we dropped the last game of Bethune Cookman by four in the in the Florida Classic, um, and why we feel that we should lay claim to the to the national championship, and, and my answer has been pretty consistent. You know, I, I felt that we look at the totality 
of, of our body of work. Um, you look at the teams that we've played this year, that we've beaten this year, and where they rank in the in the final standings, uh, it, it merits consideration. And you, you look at the top six or so teams in, in black college football this year, uh, unanimously at the Division One level, um, we're one of them. A&T, who obviously just won the Celebration Bowl. Alcorn State, who obviously you know just represented the SWAC in the Celebration Bowl. Southern, from the SWAC, South Carolina State, uh, from the MEAC. Um, we played four of the five and beat four of the five. You know, we beat South Carolina State. We beat North Carolina A&T. Uh, or three of the three of the three of the four. We didn't play Alcorn State, um, but we beat North Carolina A&T head to head. We beat South Carolina State head to head, and we beat Southern head to head. So the team who was the second place team in the SWAT we beat, and then teams two and three we were we had the best record in the MEAC uh, we beat. And, and so when you look at it from that perspective, um, I think it's. It's hard to argue, you know, that we haven't shown that we're the best team. I know there's some who say, well, you have a postseason ban, uh, so you shouldn't be eligible, which I don't really buy that logic because the ban was self-imposed. Um, if the NCAA had come down and, and rendered us ineligible before the season, that would be one thing. But the whole point of self-imposing is to say, look, we acknowledge that we've done some things wrong in the past. We're taking full responsibility for that. And those are intended to lessen the blow, so to speak. You know, you, someone turns himself in, you, you turn yourself in to get a lesser sentence um, as opposed to being caught. And so, you know, there's a lot of people who have given us a lot of criticism for having a, a, a postseason ban, but again, the ban was self-imposed. We don't know what this stuff like might have said if they would have gone there. They might have said, well, you know what, probation or practice restrictions or whatever. We chose to deem the probably the most severe penalty that we could have rendered to ourselves, which is a postseason ban, scholarship reductions, and some of those other things that we rendered um, as a as a goodwill to show that we accept the full responsibility for our actions from things in the past, not things that are going on today, right now, but things in the past. And, and there's still a large contingency of people who want to punish us right now for our sins of the past. And I just don't think that that's fair. When you look at who's the best team in the con- in the country, look at the facts. Look at what happened on the field this year. Look at the head-to-head matchups. Look at all those things and determine who's the best team. The, let's not allow our feelings about a ban or whether we should be eligible for that title to, to, to muddy the water. And I think that's what's happened in a lot of those situations. And, and speaking of the muddy water, in a simple term, naysayers could also say if you had just taken care of business you wouldn't have had to do a self-imposement and part of the doing self-imposement is the acknowledgement as you said of the guilt so therefore if you're going to accept it then don't sit up there and create a ruckus on the sidelines saying you're number one when technically you're not qualified to be number one well, I, again I definitely understand those sentiments from people if there was something that we were doing currently you understand these these sanctions are from uh, from situations or things that were done from 2010 to 2016. Understand, Willie Simmons was hired at Sam Bue in 2018. <laughs> 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 you know, I tell everyone, Ryan Stanley, Marcus Williams, Demonte Moore, all those guys that went and, and played good football this year. None of those guys were in school in 2010. My freshman class was in the third grade in 2010 when some of these things were taking place. And so 
this, this is a data review. This is something, uh, uh, I guess, a you know, commonplace. Every university goes through it. You know, they look over the last five or six years and report stands to the NCAA. And throughout that reporting, we found that there were some improprieties. And so, again, we went in and we were proactive in our, you know, asking or, or requesting a self-imposed ban by the NCAA. And so, again, I would understand if it was something that we did, let's say, last year. You know, I came in, uh, high APR scores were low or, one of my coaches got found cheating on the road recruiting or, or something like that. Some of the things that some other schools are being uh, penalized for. If that was the case, then I'd say definitely, hey, we understand we're doing things wrong. We shouldn't be eligible for any type of championship or anything. But nothing, the, the president, the athletic director, the head football coach, 100% of this football team, none of us were a part of the things that that got us to this point. And, and so that's why I'm saying I, I don't think that we should be penalized as a football team and as an administration because of things that were done outside of our control. You know, don't, don't penalize Ryan Stanley because some guy back in 2010 was certified, you know, by a, 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 a registrar or whatever the case may be. You know, I'm not going to go into details about what exactly we got, um, what the sanctions were for. But that that that's been my stance the whole time. You know, we're we're taking full responsibility as a university for things that we did wrong. The football team, this current football team, this current coaching staff, had nothing to do with any of that. And and I don't think it's fair to penalize the current team, the current coaches, the current support staff, and rob them of a chance to win a championship or claim national champions because of things that were out of their control. Now, you said that, and let me use this reference, and it might or might not appear to be fair, but this reference just came to mind. Couldn't you compare that to the mistreatment of African Americans with slavery and to take that approach and said, we had nothing to do with that, so don't penalize us? Wouldn't that be along the same stance that you're taking now? When you say don't penalize us, what? And what when you what, say what, when you say what? like you mentioned, you say, hey, that was back in 2010 before I even was uh, here on the job, and my uh, players were in grade school, and we went back and we did the self-impose, and about the being accountable and responsible. That's part of it. But then, as a body of people is saying about retribution, and they say, hey, man, we don't we, we don't restitutions, I should say, and they were going like, hey, we. That yeah, that we acknowledge that slavery was a terrible thing, but you're not gonna hold that over our head because that was back then. We're in a new millennium now. You got to let that go. Could that be the same well, reference? I, 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 well, I'm not sure it would be the same because again, I don't think that really. I don't at least, and this may be outside of my realm of expertise. I'm not really much in the politics, but I've never, as a black person, asked for reference. Um, Reparations. I've never heard anyone say have a conversation or lock in the in the barbershop. Anyone else say, "Man, that we should get reparations for slavery." I've heard the I've heard the term. I've heard white people talk about it. I've heard it come up from um, what's the name Warren, the, the one of the presidential uh-huh. candidates, talking about reparations. And so that's not something that I think we are saying as as a black race that we deserve reparations. We just want a fair shake of the pie, you know, a fair slice of the pie. Give us the same opportunities that, you know, our white counterparts have or whoever you may have it. And I think that we're saying the same thing. As a, as a football team, we understand we self-imposed the postseason ban. So we're not sitting here saying we should have been in the celebration bowl. 
I understand that we could not be eligible for the Celebration Bowl, but that's all we rendered our cell phone. We rendered a self-imposed post-season ban. That's right. it. We didn't. We didn't render a conference championship ban. We didn't render a Black College National Championship ban. Post-season. That's all we asked for. NCAA. And we petitioned this to the NCAA. Now we didn't. We didn't have to ask the MEAC or have to ask anyone else. We just asked the, 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 the NCAA to say. We are self-imposing a post-season ban. When the regular season's over with, that's it. So everything we earn, we're going to have to earn it during the regular season. Okay. I told my football team that. I told the administration that. Whatever we do in those 11 games, let us be judged from that. Nothing else, just those 11 games. And in those 11 games, I felt that we played better football than any team in black college football. This oh, and you're not, you're not going to get an argument from me. I'm just, you know, my role is to play devil's advocate to get all sides of, of the story. Now, here's here's the, the caveat to that, okay? Mm-hmm. Knowing that there was going to be a self-imposement and knowing that there's a celebration bowl, which has technically been dubbed as the uh, HBCU college football national champion. You agree with that, right? Uh, that's another conversation. <laughs> right, but I mean, but but walking into this thing with our eyes wide open, part of the excitement, part of the lure was we finally got a game that is going to uh, kind of minimize the talking on who's better and let your best play against our best, and whoever the last man standing in is technically the mythical HBCU champion. Well, and again, I, I I understand that, but this is my position, and, and I pose this question to uh, the powers that be. And and again, I'm all for the celebration bowl. I love it. I think it's great for the sport. I think it's great for HBCU football. I think it's great for the respective teams who get to go because of the brand exposure and the recognition and all of that. But to say that it is the national championship, I think is a little bit of a stretch because I, I take it back to, and it hadn't happened, but I take it back to. I think it was 2017, maybe, or 16, my, my second year. So my second year at, uh, at, at Prairie View, um, of course, the SWAC West was a tough division. You had Grambling, who went undefeated. You had Southern, um, I think, who had the only loss to Grambling. You had us, who only lost to, to Southern and Grambling. We had Alcorn on the East, who had lost to all three of us. They lost to Prairie View, lost to Southern, and lost to Grambling. And they even lost the game to, I think, Alabama State on the East. Now, it just so happens that the other teams on the East had all lost five or more games. And so Alcorn was the, the, the Eastern Divisional winner with four conference losses, and they were going into the Swag Championship game against Gremlin, who was undefeated. Alcorn jumped up to a 17-0 lead in that game. I don't know if you remember that. Mm-hmm. And then Gremlin some kind of way came back. Now, let's say Alcorn had won that game. At Dean Gremlin in the SWAT championship game, who's representing the SWAC in the Celebration Bowl? Alcorn State, right? Right. With four losses. Right. Going against, I think it was North Carolina Central, who had one loss, um, and that tie was a tie that could go on because it was going to head to head A&T. So if you're taking a four-loss Alcorn team to the Celebration Bowl because they beat Gremlin in the championship game, if Alcorn wins the Celebration Bowl, are they black, are they black college national champs? According, according to the way it is structured, yes. Because that's just uh, like... Not necessarily. Not necessarily. Because the Celebration Bowl now is not... 
it, you said technically it's not it's not the official. No, no. I Black said Lives I addressed Black. it as the yeah. mythical HBCU right. championship. I've already addressed right. that. So, so, so that's the that's going to always be to me always going to be the 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 naysayers of the celebration bowl, and there are some. But the the, the question is always going to be, uh, you know, what well, what happens if Tennessee State makes a, a historic run in the OVC and goes undefeated and goes to the playoffs and makes it to the to the semifinals? What happens if Hampton runs through the Big South, Big South, or whatever conference they're in, and gets to the playoffs and goes? And, and should neither one of those teams be, be in consideration for the Black College National Championship? Because neither one will ever play in the Celebration Bowl because they're no, no, no longer in the swag of the MEAC. And so I think as long as you have that dynamic where you're not saying, okay, we're going to, and, and it's not going to happen, but if you wanted to make it a true national championship, quote unquote, We'll say, okay, well, the top two teams in black college football at the end of the regular season are going to go play in Atlanta. I don't care what conference you're in. I don't care where you are at the time, but the two number two, one or two teams by the rankings are going to play in Atlanta. Now, that would make for a true national championship. Wouldn't you agree? Well, I would agree, but I would also agree, too, because I've been on both sides of the coin. If you're going to be part of the FCS community, then play for the FCS title and remove all doubts and naysayers and get it done. I mean, because, you know, it, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, but then that, but again, but Tennessee State and, and, and Hampton would, would never be able to technically claim a black college national championship if that's the case. Well, we're talking so, about, I'm talking about a champion. I'm talking about a champion, period. I'm talking about if you're, right. all, if you're all in the FCS, you, that's what you, that's what we are. That's what we've been identified for. That's what we pay our fees, that we could be uh, associated with FCS. If mm-hmm. you do not uh, want to, you know, structure your programming, your scheduling according to that, then get out of the FCS and go independent. That's my take on it. OK, but if you're going because I think is is somewhat foolish for people in the HBCU conferences to say that the FCS playoffs don't matter when they do matter. If they didn't matter, then don't be affiliated with them. That's my point of view. No, I, yeah, they def- I think they definitely matter. And I think there's a place for it. And I think that's a discussion that definitely um, needs to be had and, and, and should be had as to which one uh, long term is better for the programs. Again, and I get asked that question all the time. And I think both answers uh, suffice. If you're talking about short term and what it can do for your program immediately, I definitely believe the Celebration Bowl is, is, is a benefit. Yeah, look at A&T. They've gone four to five years at five hundred to $600,000 a pop. You're talking about $2 million that they've generated for their program in the university just simply by going to that game. That's two hundred. That's $2 million that no other program in black college football has been able to to claim, you know, and it's not from a guarantee. It's not from going to play a power five team and getting five hundred thousand to get your head beat in. Right. It's to go play a team that's just like you on a national stage that's going to give you national credibility and free advertising for a whole day as one of the first bowl games in the bowl season. So it's a tremendous benefit from a from a uh, institutional standpoint, from a financial standpoint, to play in the celebration bowl. But if again, if you're trying to build your program to say that you are one of the best teams in all, in all of FCS, yeah, eventually you're going to have to go up against a North Dakota State, a James Madison, a Sam Houston State, and those teams, you know, that are going to the playoffs perennially to show that you're one of the best teams in the country. Well, see, I got an even better idea. Uh, this year wouldn't probably work because how late 
they push the game uh, for the FCS uh, championship. It's going to be January 11th. But they normally would have had that thing around this weekend coming up uh, after Christmas, right around that Christmas holiday time. Why not the winner of the FCS championship play the winner of the Celebration Bowl and just shut it all down? Well, again, well, what would be the benefit to the FCS, the other FCS conferences for doing that? Because if you look at it, the highest ranked team in, in, in black college football right now is FAMU. And we're, I think, 20th. You know, A&T was, was 23rd, I think, in the, in the latest poll. Now they'll reshuffle them after the national championship game, and we'll see where everyone falls. But if you're asking a, a North Dakota State or James Madison who will play for the FCS national championship this, this uh, you know, in January, if you're asking them to play that game and then turn around and play the winner of the Celebration Bowl, which may be a team that's ranked in the 20s or even unranked, if it was in the case of Alcorn, what would be the benefit to the to those PWIs? I don't think there is a benefit to them. Uh, again, I think we as, as HBCUs have to make a decision and decide whether we want to be a part of the conversation of being one of the best teams or the best team in Division One FCS football or if we want to keep our niche, which is what the Celebration Bowl is, it's a niche because we're the only uh, two conferences in all of FCS football who opt to play in a bowl game, which is a, which is in the FBS, which is, which, is, which is the whole acronym, Football Bowl Subdivision, Football Championship Subdivision. So Division One FBS, Bowl Subdivision, those teams in their regular season with bowl games. Championship Subdivision, we end our regular season with a playoff system. And so we're kind of unique. Well, kind of, we are unique in that sense, where our the ending of our season shifts more to the FBS programs because we actually do play in a bowl game that's sanctioned by the NCAA, that's paid out by the. NCAA. I mean, the whole thing, just like uh, not like the college football playoff per se, but just like the Independence Bowl that I was watching today between Miami and Shreveport, Miami and uh, Louisiana Tech. The Celebration Bowl is no different. It's a bowl game that's played during bowl season. And so uh, if we're going to keep that, we're always going to be in that type of situation where we won't ever be able to claim, do what Florida A&M did in 1978 and won the first 1AA or FCS championship. That won't happen again because as of right now, the two winners go to the, to the celebration bowl, unless it's a Tennessee state or uh, a Hampton or for whatever reason, if a team wins the MIAC or SWAC and opts out of the, of the, uh, the, the playoffs, which that hadn't happened up to this, not playoff, but the Celebration Bowl, and that hadn't happened up to this point. So uh, there's definitely a, probably a conversation for another show, but, but no, there's definitely a lot of, uh, lot of moving parts, so to speak. And when you're talking about a black college national champion as opposed to a Division One FCS national champion. Now, you know someone listening to this is saying, oh, Simmons is just saying that because he's got sour lemons and they didn't make it and he he's just salty right now. He wouldn't be saying that if they had made it to the Celebration Bowl. You know that's going to happen. No, 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 no. I, trust me, I, and I've said this on record. So, again, people have asked me before, which would I prefer? And, and my answer has always been the same. Today, as of right now, I would prefer that FAMU, if we were eligible, to play in the Celebration Bowl. Our financial issues have been well documented. We need money. <laughs> and so I'm not going to turn down the opportunity to go out and make half a million dollars in a football game. That's what we're supposed to do as, as coaches, as administrators, generate revenue for our programs. Now, if you get us to the point where we are financially stable 
and we can build our program the way that we want to and not have the, some of the needs that we have year to year, then, yeah, hey, let me build my program up and let me go up against the, the, the top 24 teams or uh, 23 teams, uh, us being the 24th in the country now. And let us see if we can go and, and be like, like I said, like, like Rudy Hubbard in the 78 team. I would love to bring a national championship, a true Division One FCS national championship to Tallahassee. Not just a black college national championship. I want that too. But my ultimate goal is to build this program up to become the best program in FCS football, just like North Dakota State, just like a James Madison, that we're year in and year out in the mention for being one of the best teams in the country. Top 10 program. That's, that's my long-term goal. But right now, I don't know if that's feasible because, again, we're, our financial position doesn't dictate that we can afford to bypass a chance to go to the Celebration Bowl for a chance at the FCS playoffs. So, no, this is not a pitch one way or another about the Celebration Bowl or the FCS playoffs. Again, I think that there's merit to both. It's just, again, long-term. I think if you ask most coaches at, at our level, we would love the opportunity to match our wits up against some of the uh, perceived best programs in, at, in, at the FCS level. And I think that's even why you see a, a A&T opening up the season next year against North Dakota State because I think they want to show everyone that, hey, we can play with the North Dakota State on, on an equal level playing field just like they did against Jacksonville State a couple of years ago. So, again, I think that's what we all long-term want to do. Um, just right now, that's just not the reality. We're talking right now with Shotgun Willie Simmons. And as always, man, I appreciate the candidness and the straight forth on your answers and reply. I think that's why we make good radio. <laughs> now, look, we, we talk about it and let's address this elephant in the room. Um, and I'm not going to ask you from a coach's perspective because you have comrades to deal with. But Mike Prince, not Willie Simmons. Mike Prince says that as far as FCS legitimacy and acceptability for the MEAC and the SWAC compared to all this other brethren from the FCS, we still have a long way to go. On a scale of 1 to 10, I would have to put us somewhere between a 3 and 4 of our uh, willingness to compete from beginning to end as a based on results that we count encounter when we play teams from the OVC, MVC, and from the Southland. What is your response to that? Well, I think it's getting better. Um, you may be right as far as the perception. I do think there's still a general uh, perception that we're not on par with our, with our PWI counterparts. Um, but again, that's why when I was at Prairie View, I was adamant about scheduling teams in the Southland Conference. You know, Nickel State, uh, Sam Houston, Incarnate Word. And, you know, we, were, we beat Incarnate Word the, the, my last year there. Uh, we lost to Nichols and lost to Sam, but we beat Incarnate Word. Incarnate Word turned around the next year and won the OV, I mean, the uh, Southland Conference. And so I think that was a, a very signature win going into San Antonio and beating a team that won their conference the next year. Um, Sam Houston has been a perennial FCS power, you know, since uh, Coach Keel has been there. Nichols is, is now one of the top probably 15 or 20 FCS programs in the country. And Prairie View has had, you know, close games with, with those teams. And you know, Alcorn State went toe-to-toe with McNeese, uh, almost beat them. Southern had a good game against McNeese, uh, you know, I think this year or, or just recently. And so I think collectively we're all uh, – Grambling beat Northwestern State, I think, a few years ago. 
uh, A&T beat um, Elon. South Carolina State beat Wofford at the start of the season. Wofford was ranked fifth in the country. And, and so I think uh, collectively we're all um, interested in playing those type games. You know, let's schedule games against our, our LCS counterparts. Um, of course, we don't get the, the, the guaranteed payouts that we would get from playing, you know, group of five schools or power five schools at the, at the FBS level. But uh, I think there's more, a lot of times more value sometimes in the, in the sentiment of it than just the, the raw finances. You know, we're not going to make three hundred, four hundred thousand dollars going going to play Kennesaw State. You know, or going to play Jacksonville State, which are relatively close schools to to Florida and them. But the national exposure we get for going into a, in Atlanta and beating Kennesaw, who's a top ten FCS program, A and T beating Jacksonville State uh, the first game of last season. You know, the national exposure that they received, and so I think that's what we're going to have to continue to do to continue to get the the, the recognition of the credibility that we need. But as long as we have the celebration bowl and we kind of pull ourselves out of that automatic qualifier for the, the FCS playoffs, there's always going to be that, that gap and always going to be that conversation of whether we're, you know, serious or viable um, partners or, or players in the landscape of FCS football because we don't get to, to go up against them. We're, 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 you know, we're begging for at-large bids. My, my first two years at Prairie View, you know, I was upset that we didn't get an at-large bid. We didn't win the conference, but I thought that we had done enough on the field to warrant an at-large playoff bid. I would have loved to see us in a, that 9-2 that and two team that we had with John Bear and some of those guys. I would have loved to see us go up against the FCS field that year. <laughs> I got one, I, one, one response. University <laughs> of Faith. <laughs> well, no, I don't even think it was University of Faith because I, I, I think, because, uh, again, you look at South Carolina State this year. Mm-hmm. South Carolina State's three losses were to South Florida, who's an FBS group of five school, FAMU, who's a top 25 FCS program, and North Carolina A&T, who's a top 25 FCS program. Those are their three losses. They didn't get in that loss. They didn't get in that And they don't have a University of Faith on their schedule. They beat Wofford to start the season, who was ranked number five. They lost to an FBS school, and they lost to two top 25 FCS programs, and they didn't get in that large bid. So I, I don't think it's just the fact that we played University of Faith that year. I think it's just, a, over, like you said, just a general disrespect for the quality of play in the Mid-Eastern Athletic Conference and in, in, in the Southwestern Athletic Conference by the powers that be. Right. And we don't have much representation in those rooms for the voters of who's making those decisions. And I think until we get representation, we're going to continue to be overlooked because they, I guess they kind of figured when we both pulled our automatic qualifying bid that we're not serious about the playoffs. And so why put them in if they're not even serious about it? If they don't want to be in it, why put them in it? And I think that's what's happened to us. And I think you see teams like Prairie View in 15 and Sacramento State this year have suffered tremendously because of that. Well, and, and, and also in regard to that, there's a thing, and you would you agree that there's a process to all of this when we're talking about building programs, changing the culture. And if you have a good year, say this year, 2019, you had an outstanding year, but two, three, four, five years prior to that, you were subpar, and then you get one year breakout, and then you expect that you should be, you know, considered seriously. Do you think because we elected to give back our automatic bid, we have put ourselves behind the eight ball where we have to dig a little deeper and show more consistency before they even even start looking our way and bringing us up at the table? 
Well, yeah, I think so. Uh, I think if you look at a team like A&T, what they've been able to do over the last four or five years, uh, they've been, uh, I think they finished the last four seasons ranked in the, in the FCS Top 25. Right. So had we had we not self-imposed this ban and we've been eligible for the Celebration Bowl, I, I believe that A&T would have gotten an at-large playoff bid. Absolutely. Even though they lost to a, even though they lost to a one in eight Morgan State team at the time, and so I think because of their brand, because of what they built over the last five years, they have the respect of the FCS community. Now, if we continue to to grow the program the way that I think we can, if I think uh, if, if Cyclone State and and, and uh, continues to grow their program the way that I think they can, and, and have the sustained success as A and T's had then I think we will have those opportunities. I think it'll be hard for a SWAC team to do it, just because, again, I think with, with the Bayou Classic being the first week of the playoffs, you're, you're going to have to have a team basically run the table and lose one game uh, to have a chance to go. And it, it will never be Southern and Grambling because they play the first round of the playoffs on, on, the, on the Bayou Classic. Right. And so it will have to be a, a, a prayer view in Alcorn or someone like that. Well, we're not, it really not even an Alcorn because some on the East, it probably won't happen <laughs> because, again, they're going to wait to see who's going to play in the, from the West in the championship game. So I think Prairie View is in a situation where they could potentially do it. Again, they'd have to have a, a great year, um, maybe lose one game to a Grambling or a Southern. Those two teams are going to play. One of those teams will play in the, in the championship game, and they you know, wait on that large bid. But it's, it's an uphill battle, definitely. But tough, maybe tougher for the SWAT than, than the MEAC because the MEAC has had an at-large bid in the last 10 years. Um, but I, I do think that, that it's a challenge that we have to address and something that, that you know, we're going to have to continue to lobby for. We're talking again with Shotgun Willie Simmons from FAMU. The Rattlers had a phenomenal season. We've been going a little deep in the woods, if you would, talking about the probabilities and possibilities. On the grand scale of things, and this is probably just a simple yay or nay do you believe the Celebration Bowl is necessary? I, I do. And again, I, I hate to sound like I'm talking out of both sides of my of my mouth, um, but you can't buy that type of publicity. I, I think, and, and, I, and I'm, again, adamant about this, even when I go um, talk to my constituents, um, you know, Rattler Nation, when you look at the the academic landscape of, of HBCUs. You know, one one of the things that um, I that I'm proud of, and I can say that now as a head football coach, is that since I've been old enough to remember, Florida and them has been the number one public HBCU in America. Like I said, as long as I can remember, and just I think two years ago, um, we lost that title. You know, we dropped the number two. Now, I think in, in many of the, the, the um, studies or surveys were back to number one, but um, the one that we keep battling, ironically, is North Carolina A&T. Now, I don't think it's a coincidence that A&T's enrollment skyrocketed, their popularity skyrocketed, their recruitment skyrocketed when they started playing in the Celebration Bowl. I think the studies have suggested that sports and bowl recognition – is probably the largest benefit to a, to, to a university. Uh, they did a study years back when Nick Saban took over at Alabama and, and asked a question. Of course, everyone talked about how much money he made, 
but they asked the question, was Nick Saban the most underpaid coach in America? And they, they did the study to show how much Alabama had grown during his tenure, how many National Merit Scholars they had attracted during that time, how, how their admissions had gone up, how their average ACT, ACT, GPA scores had gone up since he came in and won the first national championship. If you look at Alcorn State, if you look at A&T, the same could be said about those schools. And, and to me, it's a direct correlation because there's a kid out there in California, in Washington, in Utah, who wants to be an engineer and really just feels out of place. And they want to go to an HBCU. They just, they just feel like they need to be around, quote, unquote, their people. But they don't know anything about HBCUs because all of them are in the southeast or on the east coast for the most part. They just have to turn the TV on and they get to see hours of free advertising for North Carolina A&T in their top-notch school of business or engineering or whatever their, you know, some of their main top, top uh, programs are. Or there's a band member or whatever the case may be, or even a football player, for example. You know, and you get to see that program on national TV playing. You get to hear them talk about it. And then you start doing your research. You realize that they're really good schools. And I think that's how they've grown. They've, 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 like I said, their enrollment skyrocketed and a lot of other things have happened. So I do think that there's a tremendous benefit to a bowl game. I think that's, that's what happens across the board. Um, but, again, if you're talking about being an FBS program, FCS program and how competitive we can be, then that's a different conversation. But I do think it's a benefit. Um, the financial payout, the exposure that we get, again, you can't buy those. And I think that's why it's important. But there's some other factors that play in as well as to why we, the playoffs may be, a, from an athletic standpoint, um, more you know, viable, so to speak. But from a university perspective, I do think there's a huge benefit to the, to the Celebration Bowl. Even All right. if it doesn't determine the true national champion. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Hey, hey, I'm going to let you uh, roam, brother. Let you roam. We're talking with Shotgun Willie Simmons. We're going to shift gears just for a minute, man. We just had... Uh, National Signing Day round one. I'm learning over the years that really and truly matters on the FBS circuit. Christmas for the FCS circuit really begins in January, February. Would you agree with that statement? Well, I, I did until I looked up this year and saw that North Dakota State signed 24 players on, on the early signing period. I think Jane Madison signed probably 18 players. And so there are a lot of FCS programs now that are taking advantage of the early signing period. Uh, we haven't gotten to that point yet. I, I don't think many of the HBCUs are to that, to that level where we can uh, sign that many guys on signing day. But you look at someone like North Dakota State, they get to go into their national championship game with their recruiting class pretty much intact. You know, They don't have to really worry about going out in January and doing a, a, a lot of those things. And so it gives them a, a, basically an opportunity to get ahead for next year. Um, in, in early jump of recruiting. And so I think it's, it's a growing trend. I didn't think it would be when it first was introduced, the early signing period. I thought it would definitely be just a, uh, an FBS thing where only FBS teams would, would sign guys and if a player's you know, considered an FCS program, those are all offers that he has that he wait around to see if the FBS schools will come. Um, but I think, again, you got programs that are, that are positioning themselves and say, hey, look, we have everything that you can ask for, we're a good school, we're a good program, and we're, we've offered you. We want you. And you can sit around and wait for a group of five schools to come uh, to the fold. Maybe they will, maybe they won't. But if you visit it here, if you like it here, hey, 
come. And, and I think a lot of guys, surprisingly, are are doing that. I mean, they're going to those FCS programs. And so uh, I still think it's mainly for the for the big boys, so to speak. Um, but you do see a growing trend of, of guys starting to sign um, FCS scholarships at the early signing period. And, and, and so hopefully we can get to that point. It will feel great to be able to come in and say we signed 10 guys, high school players or, or transfers already. You know, we have two. Uh, we've only signed two. And uh, we'll do the bulk of our recruiting in January. But um, surprisingly, though, it has uh, a lot of FCS programs have um, started to sign guys in the early period. Right. Now, uh, you know, it's also you got to deal with the psyche of a young man who for let's say for lack of a better word he thought he was fbs material and for whatever reason the reality settled in they said you're good but you're not as good as you think you are now he feels like he has to quote unquote settle for an fcs program do you see that as a potential challenge and disruption to a, 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 a team or a program that's trying to build where this person has a talent, but they're coming in with an attitude because they feel like this program is beneath them? Well, I don't think so. Uh, but again, I think it's because the, 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 you know, the programs that are doing it have the infrastructure. They have the program in place and where it needs to be to be able to, to go into that home. And, and, and sell themselves to that to that prospective student athlete or their parents and say, hey, look, we're offering you the exact same thing that a group of five school can potentially come in and offer because that's what you're, quote, unquote, waiting on. You're waiting for that Division One, and that's what many of them say. I want to play Division One ball. Well, we all are Division One Now, you got FBS, FCS, obviously, um, and the difference goes down to just funding, scholarship numbers, and things like that. But if you're a team that can offer a full scholarship, offer cost of attendance, which is one of the things that separates the upper echelon FCS programs from the right now the HBCUs, the MEAC and the SWAC, those schools can offer cost of attendance. So if you're a North Dakota State, if you're a Sam Houston State or James Madison, you can offer a young man a full scholarship as well as a cost of attendance stipend. So if I'm a kid in Texas, and I grew up saying I wanted to play "quote unquote" Division One football. Am I going to really wait around for Texas State, North Texas, UTEP, Rice, and those guys to come around? If Sam Houston's offered me a full ride plus an extra five hundred dollars a month on a full cost of attendance stipend, am I really? Is it really worth waiting around for a group of five offers? Now, if you think Texas is going to come, <laughs> then yeah, that's, that's no brainer. But in those situations, if you if you don't have offers, you Texas ain't coming in in January. <laughs> they hadn't offered already. <laughs> so you're really talking about whether you're going to sign an FCS scholarship or wait for a group of five scholarship. But again, if your program is positioning itself where they can offer great facilities, a winning tradition, full scholarship, and cost of attendance, then if I'm a parent, I'm telling my son, you better sign with this school. This school wants you. This scholarship is here for you today. It may not be here tomorrow. And Texas State may not come into play. Plus, you look at the records over the last few years, who's, who's had better teams, Texas State or Sam Houston? Sam Houston. So if you're, if you're looking at a, a situation like that, or, or, or North Dakota State, or again, I keep mentioning them, but you know those type of teams, I think, again, the growing trend for these young men, and the coaches are advising them, and they're doing a great job, is to say, look, take the bird that's in the hand. It's a good 
it's a good bird. <laughs> you got a full ride. You got cost of attendance and all those things. The issues that we face is that we're not able to give cost of attendance. And so we're telling the young man, hey, you can, we can give you a full ride, but that's it because we're not paying cost of attendance at this point. And so if a team, if a group of five schools says, hey, just hold off, you know, we're going to wait on one guy to sign. If he doesn't sign, you're our guy. And we can offer you this extra $500 a semester or a month. Then now the finances come into play and you got a parent who may be a single parent working two jobs to put a you know, kid through school. That is a lot more enticing now. And so that's where we kind of lose out sometimes in those situations as opposed to the schools who, who, you know, who can do that. And, um, but if we can ever get to that point where we can offer cost of attendance, I think the sky's the limit for, for, you know, places like FAMU and some of the other, you know, historic HBCUs that have brand recognition that can go in the homes and, and compete with, you know, our PWI counterparts. I, I understand fully what you just explained, but to me, it feels like and sounds like another moving target, <laughs> you know, because let's be honest, um, you say the stipend of $500 a month per student, which doesn't sound like a lot. It's definitely not a lot. You can ask anybody that's on any type of uh, government assistance, Social Security. But that would set us back tremendously uh, to, to pay that because then you got to ask the question, how much do you give to basketball players? How much do you give to non Revenue players, if anything, you know, it, it becomes a very tangled web and another target. By the time we figured out, they didn't already added another target to move the direction yet again. <laughs> well, you're right. But again, that's that's the million dollar question. And that's why college athletics has become, you know, uh, just a, the, the one of the topics of conversation outside of our president is just is because of that. You know, the finances, the, the financial actually does it from what we can generate, but also what we have to pay out. You know, uh, there's an article today um, about Clemson and how much they've paid to go to Arizona for the college football playoffs the last four years or whatever they've gone. I mean, so it's a five, $5 million a year in just logistics and expenses to go play in the semifinal game. You know, now they're going to make a lot more than that with their TV revenue and all of those things. But you're talking about having to come up with $5 million to just go to, to Arizona. And so, you know, of course, the, the cost, they're up, they're up there. And that's why I, I keep saying it is when you talk about the playoffs versus the Celebration Bowl, if A&T was in a position this year to, to choose, which technically they were, which one makes more sense for them? Go make $600,000 to play in Atlanta or go pay $40,000 to play in the first round of the playoffs. Because if you're not going to host, you still have to pay travel expenses. And A and T probably wouldn't have hosted because they, they, their schedule wasn't enough. They wouldn't, you know, they wouldn't want to be it. They'll be able to host the first round game. So, if you're going to commit to the playoffs, which we've had for years, it's a cost associated with it. And so that's why, again, the conversation is always going to be there. Which one makes more sense? And I know you have your purists who say, you know, oh, we're still in the Chitlin circuit. We're going to play this whatever name you want to give the Celebration Bowl, saying <laughs> that it's not worthy. But again, you, if someone's going to commit to giving us $600,000 every year, then hey, I, I turn it down every year. I say, let's go to the playoffs. But the chance for us to make that much money to play a like opponent and not have to go play a guarantee game against a bigger, faster, stronger team, I don't think you can pass the opportunity up. And so um, then we'll, we'll, until we can get ourselves financially 
on par with our group of five counterparts or even some of the upper echelon FCS counterparts, you know, I do think we're going to have to find creative ways to, to generate revenue. And the Celebration Bowl, just fortunately for us right now, is one of those, one of those revenue streams. Man, I got a great idea. And I'm going to bounce this off of you and let me see what you think about it. We know about the latest breakdowns and negotiations between CBS and the SEC. It's been reported that ESPN, ABC is going to be offering three hundred fifty to four hundred million dollars per season to the SEC for broadcasting rights. With CBS getting up to three hundred million, do you believe that there is a financial backing that makes sense that CBS says, you know what? We have the NFL. We got March Madness. Let us invest and talk to the people directing the FCS status. And let's create a bowl to where the HBCUs don't have to play the Celebration Bowl because everybody got a pretty sweet TV deal through their conference. Well, I, I think... <sighs> So this is my position on this. I don't think that FCS would ever be attractive enough for the powers that be to commit millions of dollars to a TV deal. And the reason I say this is because most of these programs don't have the brand recognition that the SEC, the ACC, the Power Five. You even look at the, the group of five schools. Conference USA's TV deal pales in comparison to... The, the Power Fives, the Big Ten, the ACC, SEC, the the WAC, uh, the Sun Belt. I mean, you're talking about, I think, maybe a million-dollar deal to, to distribute amongst the member schools as opposed to a 300-some million-dollar deal for the SEC or, or 200 million for the ACC. So I, I just, unless you're one of those Power Five teams, I don't think you'll ever do it. Now, this is what I have always said. I do believe that we, and when I say we, I'm talking about FCS teams. I'm talking about HBCUs. I think we have a unique position because of just what we are and who we are. We still, to this day, spend more money than anyone. But when I say we, I'm talking about black people. So because we still do, guess what people are going to continue to do? They're going to advertise to us. What better way to advertise than to do it during a football game when you have millions of people watching. So if you can, someone, I don't know who it can be. I don't know if it's the own network. I don't know if it's BET. I don't know who it is, but you can convince someone to commit millions of dollars to the SWAC, the MEAC, even if you include the SIAC, the CIAA, and some of those conferences, CAA, not CAA, but the HBC conferences, and say, we're going to broadcast and have television rights to these games and generate the type of revenue that you that again, even if it's it won't be that type of deal me or three hundred million dollars, but even if you say ten million. Let's just say if you said ten million dollar T V distribution deal to the MEAC and the SWAC, that's a million dollars per team. Right. A year. And that's what if I'm saying. Measure, you, but again you have to so I think but I think you have to, to sell our buying power, not not the FCS status because I think you separate us from that. But you have to somebody to pitch the fact that we there's a huge there's a large contingency of rattlers out there who will turn the TV on on a Saturday afternoon to watch family play A and T. There's a large contingency of, of, of Grambling State Tigers out there 
who will turn the TV on and watch Grambling play Prairie View, you know, and, and not just the Bayou Classic. So if we can do that, but we got to get the quality of the games better. We have to, you know, again, find ways to improve our facilities and then start to get some of these top-tier players back to, you know, to us and, and do that. I think it's possible. But, again, it's a lofty goal. Um, but I, I do think there's a chance that it can happen if the right people at the table with the right sales pitch to, to, to speak on our buying power. Because I do, I still think that we do have buying power, and I think we have a lot of the tradition amongst our HBCUs, especially now that we're restoring some of these rivalries. You know, the fact that we're playing Southern again has is, is really you know, regenerated a, a, a lot of excitement for not just Rattler Nation, but Jaguar Nation. You know, the, uh, this growing rivalry that we have with North Carolina A&T now. You know, uh, again, Grambling and Southern and Alcorn and what they've I mean, it's starting to really pick up. And, and so we can have these marquee games yearly where you say, you know, Alcorn's going to play South Carolina State or Preview's going to play FAMU or Southern's going to play Bethune. You know, if you have those those uh, interconference uh, matchups like the Power 5 schools do to generate um, interest among the programs, I think it can be done. But, again, that's just me talking. I'm just no, talking I, I, no I understand, and I'm just a talk show host with a true vision because what I was saying, hypothetically, hypothetically, CBS walked away from the SEC, or should I say they, they, they rendered them back to the open market because if they wanted to, they could have paid what they had or what they, what they needed to retain them. And with that being said, the NFL, okay, we have. We have the March Madness. We're making money. And to make a smaller investment, let's say they committed – to a $20 million television deal between the MEAC and the SWAC. They still are spending pennies on a dollar and would make money through ad sales. That's what I'm talking about. No, and I agree. I agree. I just, but again, somebody has to go to the table with it. And I just, I'm not so sure that, that CBS or, or, or ESPN or one of those mega you know, broadcast companies would, would, would bite it right now. I think, you know, if you could, I think BET would be prime for it. I think. Well, you, well, well, well. You, you do understand. You do understand that CBS owns BET. Well, well, yeah, but I mean, I think they would they would push it down to one of them. It wouldn't be a it wouldn't be a quote unquote CBS TV viewing. You know, the well, CBS is, is what I'm saying. What I'm saying. Right. You can play your you can play your bowl game on the CBS local affiliate. You can run that. But between the CBS Sports app and BET, you have more than enough time slots to get these games going. You could well, have. No, I think. I think you. Yeah, I think you do it to where again, if you have it to where every Saturday, just like the SEC, ACC, the, the, the big networks do, I think you do that. That every Saturday during the football season, you have a marquee, just like ESPN has now. Supposedly, of course, we ain't gonna talk about that deal, but. Um, just like it, it's positioned now where you have the game of the week. To me, if you have a black college, quote-unquote, game of the week on whatever network that is, then I think it makes sense. Um, and, and again, well, see, and I'm talking about platform. the best of both worlds. Because of the time zone difference, you could have an a.m. and a p.m. game of the week from both conferences. Well, yeah, you definitely can. Yeah, no doubt. 
you know, and, and I think uh, is something worth kicking the tires on. And that's that's my battle cry, because um, I know and believe in in the content of these conferences. And, and I'll take that to my grave. Can't nobody tell me anything different. Now, it is a unique brand. It's a unique operations. But I think it's an operation. If my take is this, if CBS was willing to pay the Mountain West Conference $16 million for a TV deal, the Mountain West Conference, I'll say that one more time, the Mountain West <laughs> Conference, I'm sure they would be getting a bargain, spending 15 to $20 million for the MEAC and the SWAC combined. I agree. I think we need to put that together. Look, man, we're going to have to reconvene this because it's always uh, a joy talking with you and uh, getting your your take on some things. Um, And and we didn't even get a chance to talk about the the FBS playoffs. But real quickly, uh, I already know who you're picking on one side. (laughs) 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 Who do you? you you (laughs) Let me go. Clemson gonna win it all. I think it would be Clemson and LSU. Clemson and LSU. I'm saying Clemson and Oklahoma. So wow, you going Oklahoma over LSU? I'm going Oklahoma over LSU. I have my reasons. You be a partial to you, you Texas guys. You got to be partial. <laughs> no, that has nothing to do with Texas at all. I promise you, it has nothing to do with Texas. Um, I just believe uh, that what Jalen Hurts has done. I think he got snubbed out of the uh, Heisman Trophy. Uh, really. Yeah, I really do. I really well, do. I, I don't know about that. Now, I, I, you know, I think Jalen had a phenomenal year, but when you look at what, what Joe Burrow is. I mean, uh, Joe, he, set, uh, he set a record for completion percentage. I understand that, and I and I'm not taking I'm not taking anything from that. Yards, forty eight touchdown passes. I mean, like he did, did, uh, coming from LSU, first of all, who's been a Pro style offense for a million I, years. I understand that. Put up those type of numbers in the SEC West. I, I don't know if you can say. There's a reason it was the most lopsided. Well, it, it, well, I got my druthers on that too, but I won't even get into that. <laughs> but um, here's why I'm saying this. Here's why I'm saying this. Look at the body of work Hertz put in at Alabama. Well, but that's uh, no, yeah. If you're looking to a lifetime, but then that's always the question: Is it a lifetime? Or but, but but see, but I'm talking I'm talking about consistency. Consistency. This yeah, man over the course of a, over over his career, you're right. Yeah, and, and and then for you to jump to a whole entire system and to have Oklahoma, not that Oklahoma was a bottom dweller, but to have them relevant. For the FBS playoffs and what he did and how he wheeled that team, he carried that team on his back. Well, ca- I think if they don't lose, if they don't lose to Kansas State, I think he's in the, in the conversation. I, under- that loss, I understand that, that loss hurt him. That that, that loss hurt him. The Heisman has been the the best player on the best team, and then Joe Burrow right now is the best player on the best team in college football, and and so it, it would have been hard for anybody to. This, this year particularly. Now, years past, I think it would have been up for discussion. But this year, given what he's done and and how he's done it in the year that they've had, it, it would have been hard to, to ever give anybody a more deserving. Now, again, there are guys who do Chase Young. I think you can – there's never been a defensive player who deserves it more than Chase Young and what he's done at Ohio State. But right. just looking at the year that he's had, I, I don't think anyone can – 
you can you can you could probably think I think Trevor Lawrence is deserved to be in New York mm-hmm. just by what he's done this year. Mm-hmm. But uh, it, this 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 is a historic year for for Joe Burrow, and I mean that. This is one of the best single years in the history of college football from that position. That's been a lot. I understand that, I, but we would you agree that the game is not nearly played the way it was 50, 60 years ago? Neither. So well, it's not, but you still have to you have to cater it to the, the, the changes. I mean, it's still the the, it's the time that we're in. <laughs> so uh, running backs aren't ever really well. Let me let me, really let me let me ask you this. Let me let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. If you were to take Burrow. From LSU, and say take him to Texas A&M. No, that's still in the SEC. Let's say he went to Oklahoma State. Do you think he would have the numbers that he had, or the or the or the impact that he had? Well, you know what? And again, I I I see where you're going with that, but you also have to consider that Jalen Hurts did leave and go to who's considered the wonder kid of quarterbacks in college football. I mean, the guys only had the last two Heisman Trophy winners. I understand that. that. I, I, I understand so is that, that. Is it is it because of Jalen and his skill set? Because, again, well, we've seen an element from Jalen that we've never seen before, and that's him throwing the football the way he has. Because at Alabama, that was always just not, that he wasn't a, a great passer. But um, Lincoln Riley has really developed him into a strong passing quarterback, which will be – I think why the game would be more interesting than, you know, maybe people give them credit That's for. That's why they're going to win. But, well, yeah, it'll be interesting to see. <laughs> yeah, I, do, I do think that you look at Joe Burrow and, and, and again, but it's, it's the Joe Brady. You know, he brings a, they bring in a guy from the New Orleans Saints who brings the New Orleans Saints passing game to, to LSU's, you know, plethora of, of weapons. And this guy just goes. He went off. He went off. I'm not. I'm not. I mean, he's the number one pick in the draft now. You know, I, mean, I understand so, you know, that. I, I think it's it's it, 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 Jalen Hurts. If he had won it, there would definitely be a lot of people talking. But he he's probably deserving of the award by how he's played. But I think the same can be said about Chase Young. I think the same can be said about Trevor Lawrence and, and even Justin Fields. I mean, this kid has thrown fifty touchdown passes at Ohio State this year. You know, and, and so this has been it, it's been a great year for college quarterbacks and the unique thing is three of the four teams that are playing you got transfer quarterbacks playing for those guys right <laughs> right right came in and, and played immediately so um no but it, i think it'll be one of the most interesting college football playoffs and, and that we've had i think it's four really good teams i don't think you'll have the blowouts that you've had in years past and um i think either any, either of those four teams can come out of, of you know winning the championship so I'm definitely gonna be glued to my TV all day Saturday. I'll be my boys <laughs> on at eight o'clock as always. But you know, hey, you're the champ till you get knocked off, right? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And with that being said, man, we are going to fade into the sunset. I want to thank you so much, brother. Um, we're going to get together after these these first rounds and we get ready for this national championship square up. I'm going to have to get you on the Sunday night live show, man. See what you uh, think about that. And, and we'll go from there. How that sound, man? I will. That sounds good, man. You know, you, you have a time time uh, restraint on those, though, so we might not be able to do those. We get to kind of roll on them. <laughs> <laughs> hey, as always, man, we appreciate you. Continued happy holidays. Relax. Uh, send my love to the family and the loved ones, man. And you take care of yourself, and we'll talk real soon, okay? Always, brother. Appreciate everything, man. Happy holidays, and uh, always appreciate what you do for us. All right, man. Coach Shotgun Willie Simmons. 
of the fam, you rattlers. Man, did we have a lot to get off our chest and onto the table. That is going to do it for us on today. I am the radio guy, Dr. Mike Prince. Remember our social media handles for Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, or at the Mike Prince Show. The YouTube channel is Open Mic Broadcast Network. And don't forget to check us out on our live radio stream on TuneIn Radio at Open Mic Broadcast Network. And until the next time, you guys be blessed, and we'll see you on the other side. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.